Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In restless dreams, I walked alone. Streets of cobblestone, beneath the halo of a street lamp, I turn my collar to the cold and damp. When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light, split the night and touch the sound of silence. And in the naked light, I saw ten thousand people, maybe more. People talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never share. No one did. The sound of silence. Fool said, I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words, like silent raindrops, fell. Sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming, and the sign said the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls, the tenement halls, whispering sounds of silence. Welcome everyone. This is the metaphysicist, the metaphysicist vice reign, and the de the devil's advocate. Now, uh, I I'm the metaphysicist. This is uh, Morgan, my uh, vice reign of the internet, and this is uh, to Toby, my devil's advocate. So, how, how this podcast will work is I'll uh, discuss various topics. Um, Morgan's job uh, is to uh, um, fact check uh, anything that. Uh, anyone says on the on the internet, uh, as the title would suggest, and to look up other things uh, as requested. Um, to Toby's job as devil's advocate is to um, point me out when I say when slash if I say uh, anything that could that is uh, questionable or wrong, not to merely object to me when I say, for instance, that the sky is blue. But when a compelling argument can be formed against something that I'm saying, to point that out. 
And without further ado, since we don't have any calls yet, but um, uh, I want to talk about windmills and why windmills are terrible. Um, and I, I know Toby also has some thoughts on this. Um, I love windmills. He, he loves windmills. So here's why windmills are terrible. Uh, because they are terribly inefficient, uh, is the one. Uh, they're not always on, so if, you know, if it's not windy, you're out of luck. But um, more to the point, to build enough windmills to power the entire world, we would need to cover more area than there is land area on Earth with windmills. Have you ever considered um, building windmills underwater? Underwater? They're not windmills if they're underwater. No, I mean you... Uh, you you mean on a, uh, on a boat or on no, a... No, no, you establish that foundation on the seabed, and then you build it tall enough so that it protrudes out of the Ah, okay. So, presumably, that's doable, and presumably that's quite expensive. Well, I'm sure that uh, there's no expense too great uh, <laughs> in pursuit of protecting the environment. In pursuit of, ah, protecting the environment. Energy's longevity. That, that's a good one. Protecting the environment, energy's longevity. We'll talk about both. So, um, actually, there, there was a, a TED Talk. Morgan, I think I sent you this at one point. Um, a TED Talk about a, um, uh, as an, env an environmentalist who initially did not support nuclear power. He later decided to support nuclear power because wind power, solar power, they because they require so much land area, because what they're... environmentalist? Um, Morgan, look up his name. <laughs> yeah. It was the, the TED Talk I sent you. Wind power and solar power take massive swaths of land to generate minute amounts of energy. And when they take massive swaths of land, that means we're destroying massive amounts of habitat. I mean, because most land is habitat to some creatures. So, yeah, inevitably, these inefficient energy sources that require large amounts of area, such as wind and solar, uh, will destroy habitats. But wouldn't, wouldn't you argue, or, or couldn't you understand that uh, the habitats of these other creatures would take a backseat to humanity's um, goals to provide sustainable energy for themselves. Well, yes, of course. I'd wholeheartedly agree with that. But so windmills are not a good way to provide sustainable energy because, as okay, mentioned... so we're, we're back to the sustainable part. Right. So uh, we'll, we'll disregard the question, the, um, for now, the concerns about why windmills are terrible and talk about the issue of sustainability. Okay. Um, and why we don't need a power source that can power us for a thousand years, we, um, or for a million years. Ultimately, what we need is a power source that can power us until we either invent fusion, build a Dyson Swarm, uh, build some uh, Kugelblitz black holes from which we can draw power. There are various futuristic power methods, many of which, if we, you know, as a species, work together and dedicate ourselves, we could create within half a century, a century, that are you know, power methods that are vastly more powerful than anything to which we have access now. So ultimately, we don't need a. If we have a, if we're trying to generate a, find a power source that will work for us on Earth a a thousand years from now, that's predicated on an assumption that we'll have made basically no technological development a thousand years from now. In which case, we have far bigger problems than what energy source we're using.
Alright, alright, now let's... Uh, are you, uh, are you satisfied, Mr. Devil's Advocate? There isn't much to d disagree with there. I mean, you basically just... Like, your hypothetical is just stating a fact of that, you know, if we don't have, whatever, at least progress towards the Dyson Sphere, a thousand years down the line, something is wrong. Uh, I mean, like, you're right. correct. That's, so, that's I think it, it is reasonable to work upon the assumption that we will have a Dyson Sphere a thousand years from now, or if not a Dyson Sphere, some other better form of energy. Okay. Because even if we can't create a Dyson Sphere, and there's no good reason to think we couldn't, in fact, there's good reason to think we could, a thousand years from now is a long time in which to find a better form of energy, and if we can't, find a better form of energy to actually build whatever form of energy we decide to build. Okay, so then working off the assumption that we will have enough here in a thousand years. The idea is getting uh, enough energy in place to carry us to that point. Exactly. So with that, I submit the idea that um, advocating for something like nuclear power as opposed to wind power uh, goes directly against the, the ideals upon which the United States of America were founded. Those two primarily wow. being uh, liberty and free enterprise. Now I know we discussed this a little earlier today. Uh, you gave the example that uh, if you get 10 people, they can each pay a dollar for some energy, or they can pool their money for $10. Yeah, uh, I'll, 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 I'll no, explain. Okay, I think I understand you. But basically the point is that people prefer to keep things to themselves because they think that they'll use it more effectively than others. And I would agree with this assessment in that um, nuclear reactors decentralizes power. It centralizes power, you mean. Solar panels. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Centralizes power, and by extension, decentralizes the responsibility of handling that power. When you just dole it out to everyone. Right. Now, if you were to instead, uh, you know, put a wind 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. on yeah. every house, then it would be more predicated upon the individual homeowner's responsibility to manage that energy. So, right, and um, so two things. One, let me clarify the. Uh, the hypothetical, which is not, uh, the numbers are obviously inaccurate, the concept is uh, is quite accurate. Uh, the, the concept is each person can either, uh, there are 100 people in a town, the t each person can either spend a dollar to put solar panels onto his own roof, or the people can together pool and get $10 to provide enough energy for all of them. Um, so... And given this, obviously, it saves the town $90 or um, 90 cents per person if they choose to build a nuclear reactor for the entire town. Right. So, so the objection that uh, Toby is raising uh, is that if we, uh, by building the nuclear reactor in this hypothetical, we essentially centralize the power in an un-American way. Correct. And I, I'll, I'll contest that on two levels. Mm -hmm. One... Not just because something is American doesn't mean it's good, and American values can change. Yeah, I mean, so th this is so this is a case of pursuing values that may be American to the point of asininity and to value liberty to a stupid end. And I'd say valuing liberty to a stupid end is by definition stupid. But my second point is it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem un-American that we as a people can come together and do great things, like the moon landing. 
we came together, we pooled our money, and we did a great thing. That is, get it, putting them putting men onto the moon. This, this building, getting cheap energy for everyone seems to be similar. All right, we'll answer this call. Hello, this is uh, the metaphysicist. Hello. Who is this? Hi, my name is Tucker Papa. All right, what's your question? People are stupid. Do, do, do you want a longer answer than that? People are stupid? That, that's the short answer. Do you want the long answer? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, all right. So, why, why do people resort to, uh, resort to religion? So, ultimately, we have... This isn't new. When Copernicus, I believe, um, discovered that the... Um, that the universe was not geocentric. Yeah, he discovered uh, not quite um, that uh, not quite correctly, but that the uh, essentially that the universe was heliocentric, um, which was a more correct model. The uh, religious dogma at the time rejected that. So, and this isn't a new phenomena. Yes, our scientific understanding nowadays is far greater than it's been in the past. But disregarding science in favor of uh, in favor of religion is by no means new. To answer specifically why people do it, uh, I'm, I'm not a psychologist and I don't take uh, any sort of pride in understanding uh, hu human stupidity. There are many more valuable things in this world to understand, but uh, people would, uh, people typically would rather cling, cling to this, uh, these false ideas. Go, uh, Morgan, pull up uh, Carl Sagan, Man and His Arrogance. We're playing that. It's a... What are you pulling up? Carl Sagan, Man and His Arrogance. It's a great speech. It's a... Uh... See that star? You mean the bright red one, his daughter asks in return? Yes, you know, it might not be there anymore. It might be gone by now. Exploded or something. Its light is still crossing space, just reaching our eyes now. But we don't see it as it is. We see it as it was. Many people experience a stirring sense of wonder when they first confront this simple truth. Why? Why should it be so compelling? The immense distances to the stars and the galaxies mean that we see everything in space in the past. Some as they were before the Earth came to be. Telescopes are time machines. Long ago, when an early galaxy began to pour light out into the surrounding darkness. No witness could have known that billions of years later, some remote clumps of rock and metal, ice and organic molecules, would fall together to make a place called Earth, or that life would arise and thinking beings evolve who would one day capture a little of that galactic light and try to puzzle out what had sent it on its way. We can recognize here a shortcoming, in some circumstances serious, in our ability to understand the world. Characteristically, willy-nilly, we seem compelled to project our own nature onto nature. Man, in his arrogance, thinks himself a great work, worthy of the interposition of a deity. Darwin wrote telegraphically in his notebook, 
more humble, and I think truer, to consider him created from animals. We're Johnny-come-latelys. We live in the cosmic boondocks. We emerged from microbes and muck. Apes are our cousins. Our thoughts and feelings are not fully under our own control. There may be much smarter and very different beings elsewhere. And on top of all this, we're making a mess of our planet and becoming a danger to ourselves. The trapdoor beneath our feet swings open. We find ourselves in bottomless freefall. We are lost in a great darkness, and there's no one to send out a search party. Given so harsh a reality, of course we're tempted to shut our eyes and pretend that we're safe and snug at home, that the fall is only a bad dream. If it takes a little myth and ritual to get us through a night that seems endless, who among us cannot sympathize and understand? We long to be here for a purpose, even though, despite much self-deception, none is evident. The significance of our lives and our fragile planet is then determined only by our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodians of life's meaning. We long for a parent to care for us, to forgive us our errors, to save us from our childish mistakes. But knowledge is preferable to ignorance. Better by far to embrace the hard truth than a reassuring fable. Modern science has been a voyage into the unknown with a lesson in humility waiting at every stop. Our common sense intuitions can be mistaken. Our preferences don't count. We do not live in a privileged reference frame. If we crave some cosmic purpose, then let us find ourselves a worthy goal. All right. Does that, uh, does that answer your question? Any other questions? Uh, not at the moment. Alright, thank you for calling. Thank you. What right. a self-righteous speech. My god. Self-righteous? What's self-righteous about that? It's self-righteous because it seems to suggest that, uh, you know, humanity is able to derive its own goal for itself. You know, how can you rely on the chemicals in your brain to tell you to think about what those chemicals in your brain should be doing, right? Okay. How can the chemicals in our, I mean, how can the chemicals in our brain discover mathematics? How can the chemicals in our brain create beings capable of putting a man onto the moon? Exactly. The chemicals in our brain are sufficiently complicated to do incredible things. Sufficiently complicated that I submit it is foolish to think of people as chemical machines. But then, you know, mathematics and landing on the moon, as if that actually uh, happened, are, you know, physical uh, you know, it, we're, Look, we're, we're not interested in conspiracy theories here, okay? <laughs> as I was saying, math and landing on the moon are physical accomplishments that are distanced from these more high-floating philosophical concepts. And I don't think you really addressed the point I was originally making, which is that um, the brain does not have the moral rights to dictate what the brain should be applied to do. In this case, as Carl Sagan suggests, you know, exploring well, the universe. So, 
um, we don't invent morality. We discover it. Uh, just like we discover mathematics. This, we're not arbitrary. We ideally, uh, though we haven't actually done this in the past, we ideally are not arbitrarily choosing what we think is right. We are using our reason to, within the um, moral tools to which we currently have access, to find what is most likely to be the most moral form of action. That's what we ought to do. It's not what most people do. It's what we ought to do. So you think that we should just accept, you know, the dilemma I just, I just submitted? What, yeah, what that that we should we should just work with the imperfect tools we have in terms of, you know, well, our brains. Uh, in the future, it is likely we may be able to improve those tools. Mm -hmm. But while we have those tools, it's given a choice between working with those imperfect tools and not working with any tool and not working at all. And not working at all means we are, by definition, aren't seeking to do the moral thing. Working with these imperfect tools means we're trying to do the moral thing and quite possibly, in fact, quite probably failing to do so. But failing to, in an attempt to do the moral thing, is by far better than not trying at all, both because if we're not trying at all, um, we don't have any chance of doing the moral thing, and because of a principle that doing the moral thing, that we should try to, we should try to do things, even things that we may not be able to do. Abigail! Yeah, what's your question? Yeah, so I have three. Three? Uh, yeah. So, my first one is, so today they have a sort of a black hole, right? Uh, yes, I heard about that. All right, great question. She's got so to if you look at uh, the, the photo of a black hole, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe there's a dark part in the center surrounded by a disk of or orangish light. That That's correct, yes? Yeah. All right, so black holes uh, have things called accretion disks, which are disks of matter swirling around them, and this matter is heated enough that it glows, and that's where we get the light. It's just a, a, a gas and dust swirling around it that's superheated and it, therefore emitting visible light. And that's why there's a dark hole in the center, because around it is the accretion disk. Um, I'll, uh, I need to put you on hold. You'll be reconnected in a minute. We have another caller. Uh, hello. Uh, hello. There are multiple callers. Uh, who's the uh, other caller? Uh, this is Garrett Stern. All right, Ger Garrett. You'll have to uh, wait until Abigail has asked her uh, uh, other questions. That then you'll ask yours. Abigail, your other questions. Yeah, my other questions. So I hear that you think the moon landing is real. What's up with that? That's exactly what I said. Um. <laughs> I mean, so, so do the physics. We, uh, there, there were many people there f for the rocket. You can, uh, you know, you can do the, um, you can do the escape velocity of Earth equation. We, we ha do the equation, take how much fuel was in the tank of the rocket, and the propellant of the, uh, the exhaust velocity of the fuel, 
the relative weights of the fuel in the rocket. You can use the escape velocity equation, cal calculate it. Where else do you think the rocket was going? I mean, it had enough fuel to get it to the moon. Where else was the rocket going? This this is not. It's not as uh, it's not as complicated as people make it out. There there was a rocket. It was filled with fuel. Yeah. We can use physics to determine that that fuel was sufficient to get the rocket to the moon. Right. Why or, would or, they? Why would the astronauts have done anything but taken it to the moon? Or you could say the fuel was sufficient to fly around the Earth multiple times and uh, push through the initial phase of the implementation of what would become President Nixon's bird reconnaissance program. You know, there's right, a perfect so, so, opportunity. Uh, that's so, actually about my, my third question. Oh, great, great. Okay, what's your third question? All right, Abigail, I have a suggestion for you. When you, when you turn uh, 18 or 21 or however old it, it has to be, buy, buy a gun, go into a forest, <laughs> shoot a bird, and perform. And once you shoot it, take the bird, dissect it, see if it's a robot or a living bird. Okay? That's what you can do. That's the, that's the, that's all, uh, that's the end of the discussion. Okay, so you're suggesting. So. So you're suggesting that the government has. You're suggesting that the government has made bird lookalikes that are um, not only look like birds, but are equivalent to birds in basically every way we can measure. So I'm not sure. Yeah. There's so, yeah. so we're I mean so again perform our little test shoot one down. If, no, no, um, well, I you know again are you listening? I, I said get the gun to shoot down the bird. So once you shoot down the bird, you can dissect the bird, see if you can find any cameras. All right, go, go when you turn 18, 21, however old one has to be in Pennsylvania. Get a gun, shoot down a bird, and dissect the bird. Tell me if you find any cameras, okay? I personally don't believe I will find one, but it doesn't mean that that is the natural bird. I think that they yeah. have modified. I think Garrett's point was that the government, you know, bioengineering is so advanced, we wouldn't be able to find the camera. Bioengineering is so advanced. So let's put it this way. If, uh, you know, if, say... Bob Johnson is elected president of the United States, and he finds out that this government has a secret bioengineering project that is sufficiently advanced to turn birds into surveillance devices without actually putting any cameras into them. This bioengineering technology, if he, say, releases it to the public, is enough to make sure that he is re-elected with flying colors. It would make him wildly popular with the American people to release this technology. So, so if there is some sort of secret, there's no. Well, so but okay. So here's 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 the thing. Uh, two things. 
Um, one, if it is a government project, then, then once the government releases the genetic technology and uses it for more useful purposes, then people would be thrilled to know that because at this point we have if we have genetic technology we have genetic technology to make birds turn birds into surveillance cameras we probably have genetic technology to end most diseases and significantly extend human lifespans so yeah I think that would make someone popular what we got to keep the population down otherwise they would rise up Right, the population is not likely to rise up against a president who who just gave them massive advances in medical technology that future presidents have been, have been hiding. This kind of person would be very popular. And besides, in regard to keeping the population down, this it's called the demographic transition, and populations in... It's hitting hardest in Japan, but across the developed world, populations are starting to drop rather than increase. Just one final thing. Hitchens Razor states that what can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So all you've told me is that you think that there are birds that are spying on people. You've not presented any evidence, but barring that, there is no reason to believe it to be true. Okay, so look, there's plenty of knowledge that we need to pursue, and we have finite resources. So we have the choice between pursuing knowledge about a crazy conspiracy theory that is not that is not technically impossible, but is absurd, or we have the choice between pursuing important knowledge, like say um, knowledge about the origin of the universe or um, improving our philosophical uh, or mathematical okay. knowledge. Yeah, or, yes? So I know that you believe in birds, but what if you stand on feet? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, as, as I was saying, um, it's, it's a waste of our time, of our limited time, to pursue knowledge on a topic on which we already are fairly sure of the answer, when there are other topics whose answers we don't know that could lead to major breakthroughs in our understanding or major okay, practical breakthroughs. Alright, so going back to uh, where the type of dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures, why were the dinosaurs, why did it not occur to the dinosaurs to create technology that would prevent a meteor from hitting the Earth and then causing their well, because they're dinosaurs, for the same reason that every other species on Earth that is not humans has not achieved that technology, and frankly, for the same reason that humans have not yet achieved that technology. Good thing for our, you know, good thing for our international bucket list before an asteroid hits us, because other species don't have the necessary intelligence. Dinosaurs also don't have opposable thumbs to create the early tools that uh, would lead to this. Who are you going to J prom with? Uh, I'm not going to junior prom. 
Why not? Uh, well, so I've successfully avoided every school dance this far, thus far, and uh, and let's see, three L, uh, three L M pep rallies. Yes, three L M pep rallies. I've successfully avoided. And the amount of time that I've saved. What what is though? Yes, I live my life, and that uh, consists of sitting in a room lit by an electronic light, reading political philosophy, not going to a dance. That is the life. Yeah, I suppose we have different definitions of uh, what uh, living a uh, fulfilling life no, is. No, Jason, we have the exact same definition, like, to the team. Okay, that's... Just incorrect. I'd love to sit with my electronic light, too. So, um, now I'm, uh, for our listeners who can't see this, uh, why don't you d describe, I am, uh, I'm holding up a tactical flashlight right now. He has and, a spotlight on himself. Is that your favorite electronic light? Uh, that's, that's my, that's my laser, my favorite electronic light. Um, <laughs> The symbol of, because symbolism. Um, but yeah, yes, I value electronic light enormously. Sorry, what was that? I value electronic light enormously for uh, pra uh, the practical and symbolic reasons. So, oh, explain your symbolic reasons, please. Uh, symbolism. Ah, this is good. Uh, I wanted to talk about this. All right, so the... Uh, the symbolism of having a technological device that I can fit into my pocket that is nearly as bright as daylight, that uh, speaks for itself, that uh, we, we need no longer depend upon the sun. We can make so, this great amount of light uh, so simply by virtue of technology. That is not what I'd say because lights up my life. Me, it lights up one's life typically means to make one happy. And having a tactical flashlight, I don't have a tactical flashlight to make me happy. I have a tactical flashlight because it's useful. But don't tactical things make you happy? Not especially. Oh, I, I mean, that's a shame. it's. Uh, it's useful, but you know, I, I don't live my life in pursuit of things that make me happy. Nazem! Hello! Questions for the metaphysicist. I'm just here to observe. Just here to observe, okay. Well, this will, unless, uh, unless our uh, esteemed publishers censor us, this, uh, <laughs> as they have done for the majority of articles I have written, um, <laughs> unless they censor us, uh, you'll, you'll have a chance to hear the entirety of our conversation uh, sometime I'll soon. I'll on this call. Uh, okay. Singular day. So, um, I, uh, it's despicable, it's craven, <laughs> it's sloppy, and people do it. But Chapman, don't you think that language is really just the sum of what everyone who speaks that language thinks? And don't you think that if enough people uh, think a certain way that the language will evolve based on that assumption? Well, so, linguistically, 
yes, that's how language works. When people start talking another way, it evolves. And the question is, do we want to align ourselves with the admittedly overwhelming force that is causing our language to evolve into a sloppier uh, and less elegant form? Or are we willing to stand against the crowd in to avoid this, this sloppy use of English? I think we should take the easiest road out here and let you know the masses exert their opinions on the English language. Okay, so he is a craven. I think it's fair to say that uh, as a general principle, uh, we should be willing to stand up to people, even to the majority of people, who favor sl sloppiness, who favor inelegance, but I'm okay. All right, right. Stepping away from the idea of uh, language's evolution, you know, obviously, gender is on a spectrum. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> right, right. Let me finish. Gender's on a spectrum. Uh, gender's on a spectrum, and certain people identify as a mixture of both genders or gender fluid, and therefore do not fit neatly to he or she. And it's easiest to just use they as an all-encompassing so, pronoun. Uh, Mr. Devil's Advocate, um, well, this argument that we should no, wait, do something because it's easiest is both lazy, is lazy, craven, and fallacious. There's no, uh, we, 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 we ideally should be, uh, should have enough uh, pride in ourselves. Um, one minute, people on the phone, I need to hold you for one minute. Uh, we ideally should have enough pride in ourselves to, uh, not do something simply because it is marginally easier to address your point that uh, the only evidence you provided that uh, gender is on a spectrum is people think that it is. Right. And because some people, and you know, we, we'd be idiots to say that we should assume things to be true just because there are, is a subset of people who think that it's true. Uh, I take issue with that. I mean... David, I think you're receiving a Yes. Uh, one moment. Uh, oh, no, all right, never mind. Yeah, what's your question? I'm writing a sentence right now. I'm saying, one's duty, should I say one's duty to their country or one's duty to his or her country? One's duty, uh, well, actually, one's duty to one's country. And that's uh, that's separate from singular they. Uh, when one uh, has a sentence uh, using one, um, uh, one needs to continue using one. So one's, the correct uh, is one's duty to one's country. Um, th that said, it would be a person's duty to his or her country. One moment. I need to hold. All right. Um, yeah, all right. We're back. All right, wait, one moment. Uh, Nazem, does that answer your question? That actually does, thank you. All right, are there any further questions? <laughs> okay, first of all, I think Sebastian's calling in. My question, and Who I is? Uh, repeat that. I have a genuine philosophical question. Let's hear it. Would you help us? Yes. Hold on. One second. Finally, a philosophical question. Tippin, would you rather be a hopeless romantic or a hopeful unromantic? The former. Oh. The former? Ah. Wow, I was not expecting that. As I, 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 if I haven't said this before, um, before, 
I take great pride in striving for things that we can't achieve. Um, have you read, uh, it's a play, wow. Man of La Mancha, wonderful play. Morgan, uh, Vicerain, you've read that, yes? I have read it. Yes. Uh, wonderful play, Man of La Mancha, go read it. For the rest of tonight, uh, I want you all to call me Alessandro Quijana. Can you, can you say it one more time? Alessandro Quijana. Alessandro Quijana, all right, I'll do that. Why does it surprise? Does it? Why does it surprise you that I'm idealistic? I just think that we're such a hopeless romantic. Yeah, I just you know the the world is a the world's a terrible place. People who strive for great things are essentially doomed to fail. The world, as I have said before, is one big moral hazard. Right. Yeah, I agree. I just figured you. You view romance as a waste of time. Yeah, a waste of time. Like romance hindering productivity. Well, yeah. So, no, but uh, that's another question. But uh, romance and romantic, not the not the same thing. Oh no! See, that's the confusion. No, he was talking about romanticism, the philosophy, not romance, as in you know, like pursuing love. Well, I just want to hear your basic definition of what a devil's advocate is. You know, okay. I feel like you could, you could provide more insight than others would. So his responsibility is not to um, not to senselessly contradict me, uh, me on everything I say, but to if I uh, make a point uh, to which my listeners are likely to have objections, to raise those objections that I may address them and better help uh, my listeners understand the arguments I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know how English class, the teacher will say, like, Oh, the character has gray curtains because you have to pull small details and have characters to That's a reasonable question. And it's important to distinguish between the choices people make and the choices authors make. Authors have the liberty of choosing to make characters do something that those characters wouldn't necessarily do in order to convey a message to the reader. Like have gray curtains. When one's depressed, one typically does not go to the store and buy gray curtains, but an author still uses that device. Alright, so the symbolic significance of my hat. Uh, well, so this obviously is not a choice that is made in the manner an author would make it. It's a choice that I'm making in uh, the, the manner, uh, the choice that I'm personally making it. The short answer is, it's my Marshall Kane hat. And go watch the movie High Noon. It's a good movie. M uh, Marshall Kane is a character from uh, High Noon. He also has a cowboy hat, because he's a Marshall in a Western movie. I also have the hat, so I can tip it to... Uh, uh, women whom I know, which is the respectful thing to do. To our, uh, to our listeners, um, as, uh, um, there are several topics on which I'd be happy to debate guests. If you're interested in being a guest on my show, actually, presumably being here in person and, uh, debating me, um, the topics, uh, that immediately come to mind are, I'm st are nuclear power. I'm staunchly in, in favor of nuclear power. 
and staunchly against basically any other energy source that's currently on the table, uh, except maybe for hydraulic power. And if you want to come defend any other energy source, um, I'd be happy to hear that. Climate change deniers are not welcome. Um, for the same reason, moon landing deniers are not. Um, the Additionally, uh, I believe abortion is murder, and I'd be happy to uh, argue uh, argue that with anyone. Um, I also support constitutional meritocratic monarchy. So if you believe in democracy and uh, believe you have uh, good reasoning for that, I'd be uh, happy to debate um, my, my listeners on that. Are there um, devil's advocate, vice serene, are there any other topics that I should put forth to my listeners? Uh, no? Well, in that case, uh, this concludes this episode of... Uh, the metaphysicist, uh, metaphysicist Vicerain, and the, uh, the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm.